This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It is said that it is a poor workman who blames his tools, which makes me a poor workman this week. Something happened in my end of the recording for this week's mission log. And I'm enough of an audio geek that I feel the need to apologize for my audio quality. Oh, not right now. Right now sounds great. Hold on to that, won't you? Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 134, Times Squared. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission and Log... And I'm Ken Ray. Ken, you said that already. Huh? No, 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 no. That was the uh, other me. I've, uh, I've apparently stopped in from the future to check on the podcast. It seems that something goes horribly wrong with this. Oh, oh wait a minute. Other me disappeared. Never mind. I guess everything is cool. Sorry about that, man. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited, though, because I was worried about what happens to you. Or, or well, Wait. happened. What? Huh? Well, don't worry about it. It's, it's probably not a thing now. Don't just, just, just go ahead. You were saying. Each week on Mission Log, we pick apart a single episode of Star Trek to dig deep to look for the morals, meanings, and messages, and to see if the whole thing stands the test of time. And, of course, we would love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with us, there are a few ways to do it. Mission Log Pod. We'll do that in a lot of places. Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. You can call us, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And, as always messages from the future go straight to the top of the queue all right ken now if i go into trivia that's not the part where something goes horribly wrong and ends in an explosion oh you see see i I think i have actually figured out how we avoid all of the trouble that future me was here to tell us about okay uh apparently we forgot to tell people the title of this week's show that Uh, made somebody uh, mental they built a time machine and the rest is not history All right. Well, I tell you what, we will do the trivia up next for the episode Time Squared. Uh, That is today's episode. Time Squared. You know, I used to love Time Squared. Mm -hmm. And Disney, like, moved in and and TGI Friday's world went there. Yeah, that's Time Square. Different thing. Oh, my bad. You know, I'll tell you what, you do trivia and I'm going to go ahead and watch this week's episode because I thought I had the Time Square thing down, but now... (laughs) Go ahead, please. All right, Ken. Today's episode, Time Squared, was written by Maurice Hurley. Now, in a different draft, the problems faced by the crew in the Enterprise would have been, could have been, Q, as the story would have led directly into the episode, Q, Who. So the story was pitched by Kurt Michael Bensmiller. Uh, He had originally pitched another story during season one titled The Storyteller, which was shelved for a very long time and later revived for Deep Space Nine. So we'll actually get to circle back around and see his original season one pitch at that time. But Maurice Hurley gets the script credit for today's show. It was directed by Joseph Scanlon, and the original title was time to the second or time with the little superscript number two by it so you could have said it time to the second but in order to avoid confusion time squared became the official title looking at it in print you're right because people might have skipped this episode because they would have thought well i didn't see the episode time right <laughs> right so yeah. i don't know what happens in time too do i have to have seen uh, yeah yeah yeah. Exactly. yeah good good thinking on their part sort of like alien cubed Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Alien 3. 3, right. Yeah. 
So um, it's interesting to note that during the production of this episode, uh, a young writer was touring the sets of, uh, of the Enterprise and, and all their standing sets there at Paramount. And uh, he had arranged this through a girlfriend who uh, had a connection and said, yeah, you can go tour the sets. And this young guy was a big, big fan. And while he was there, he did something that you never, ever, ever do. Um the tour is being led by one of Gene's assistants, and he handed in a script, a spec script, just like, hey, uh, I'm a writer too, so uh, can you show off my script? And, um, and oddly enough, uh, that script was seen, and this young writer was invited back, and that script was purchased, and that young writer's name was Ronald D. Moore. <laughs> that is how he got his start on Star Trek. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that's a great trick if you're Ronald D. Moore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, uh, in another version of the script, uh, we would have had a dinner scene actually at the end of the show to kind of bookend the opening omelet scene with Riker. But uh, we cut that. And uh, I, I really I want to give a warm welcome back here, Ken, to the Romulan ale bottle we saw in Star Trek Two. Uh, here being used as a different ale bottle, but I really, really want one of those. So uh, listeners of the show, work on that, please. You may have heard the uh, mention in the show here for the Persian flaw, and I was a little uh, confused about that. This was a term that I had heard before, and I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Dude, I totally knew this one. Oh, that's good. Well, well, I tell you what, would you like to share your background history of it and then and i'll see if we found uh, the same thing i can tell you i, I think the reason i know this is mm -hmm. because okay so i did a little bit of reading because i wanted to make sure that i knew what it was mm -hmm. and 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 a persian flaw basically is uh persians which uh, of course later became iran right 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 okay is it iran or iraq it, it is iran it is okay it's iran. iran okay yeah sorry i'm totally horrible about that part but <laughs> persians used to make uh rugs or carpets but they also were traveling. And so there would be imperfections or flaws in the rugs. Now, that's not a big deal because, you know, it was, you know, back in the olden days where everything might have some sort of flaw. Where this actually became a bigger deal was once, uh, once rugs and carpets started to be, the making of them started to be automated, mm -hmm. you would have people go in and actually put in a flaw. Right. To, to, to make sure that, I mean, to, to sort of give it an air of authenticity, to make it look like, uh, oh, no, this is, this is very good because, see, you can, you can see here it's screwed up. Right, right. So it's interesting. Yeah, that, that, that is uh, very much along the same lines of what I found in my research. Um, the, the slightly different version that I had read is that those flaws had always been there whether it's by man or by machine, that the flaws had always been put in because, well, the, these rugs were, were essentially like tapestries and they tell a story. So the, there's information throughout. And uh, the idea that the, the people who were creating these believe that God or Allah was the only being that was free of imperfection so right. humans, mere, mere lowly humans, could not build anything or do anything that is perfect. So the flaw was there to show that this was a human design and, uh, and could not reach the heights of perfection that a god might be able to do. See, your story is better than mine. I don't think so. I think, I think, I think those stories dovetail very nicely, actually. I, I think they dovetail nicely. And honestly, I, I, I would have to think that, that there's probably more truth in the first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, just because. And then later people want to say, oh, no, I, I, it's like the Pee Wee Herman thing. I meant to do that. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what am I, God? No, I'm not God. Of course, there's going to be imperfections. In fact, I put that imperfection there because I'm not God. Exactly. All right, dude. Go, yeah, I'll, I'll buy your carpet. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So final bit of trivia. Um, I thought this was really neat. Uh, the, the name of the shuttlecraft, or actually shuttle pod, that we find Picard 2 in is the shuttlecraft El Baz. Now, it's based on the name of Farouk Elbaz, who is an Egyptian scientist, uh, his specialty being geology, who led one of the teams at NASA in selecting moon landing sites and lunar experimentation. He has a very interesting background. He got his Ph.D. at the age of 26 and started working for NASA almost immediately thereafter. And uh, was one of the youngest people to actually head a team during the Apollo moon missions. 
You know, I love the fact that you actually look up the names, like where the names of the different ships come from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's amazing to me is there have to be so many of these. Right. Because right? <laughs> right. we know there are at least five shuttlecraft on the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is just one of the Galaxy-class ships. Yeah. Um, and 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 Galaxy-class is only one of the classes of ships. Right. And each one of those would have shuttlecraft and runabout and things like that. I like the idea that in the future, maybe on some other, like, you know, lower level, mm-hmm. <laughs> some <laughs> lower level uh, ship, there could be a, uh, a champion. Okay. There could be a shuttlecraft champion. There, there could be a shuttlecraft Ken Ray. And I think and, it should just be Ken Ray. And may, maybe. But yeah, and, then, and people somewhere in the far future will say, interesting trivia about this shuttlecraft. <laughs> it was named after a couple of guys who used to sit around and talk about Star Trek far too much. <laughs> this episode caps one solid week of microphone trouble for Ken. In this case, that is not a euphemism. Riker is making eggs for Geordi, Worf, Polaski, and Data. They're awful, but Worf likes them. We also learned a bit about Riker. He was raised by his dad, his mother having died when Riker was young. He learned to cook because his dad wouldn't do it. Good story. The meal is interrupted by Captain Picard calling Riker to the bridge. The Enterprise has received an automated distress call from a Federation shuttlecraft. It appears to be powerless, and the Enterprise moves to intercept. Act 1. The shuttlecraft thing is kind of a mystery. It seems to have come from nowhere. There is no mothership, so I guess there'll be no funk. And there's no indication of how a craft so small could have gotten as deep into space as it did. They tractor beam the shuttlecraft aboard. And now a bigger mystery. The shuttlecraft is labeled NCC-1701D, USS Enterprise, Shuttlecraft 5. There's just one thing. A shuttlecraft labeled NCC-1701D USS Enterprise Shuttlecraft 5 is sitting in the hangar bay next to this one. Crazy, right? Well, crazy's about to turn downright creepy. Dr. Pulaski opens the newly arrived craft to check on the passenger that they detected inside, and it appears to be Captain Picard. A catatonic Captain Picard. There's just one thing. Captain Picard is on the bridge. Or was, until he was called to the hangar bay to stare at his own, unresponsive face. Pulaski says Alt-Picard is fine physically, but his brain waves are out of phase. She won't try to revive him until they get him to sickbay. Counselor Troy has a diagnosis, though. That thing on its way to sickbay is Jean-Luc Picard. Just as much as the Captain Picard she's talking to is. No, it doesn't even make sense to Troy. But yeah, she's sure. Data is ordered to pull whatever data he can from the shuttlecraft, though they'll have to get power to the thing first. He and Geordi give it a go, but it too seems out of phase. They'll keep working. In sickbay, Pulaski has the same diagnosis she had before. Physically, Alt-Picard is fine, but his brain... And she has no idea why he's unconscious. Picard orders her to revive him, but the normal stimulant actually causes Alt-Picard to crash... She's able to stop that, but still, no consciousness. In the hangar bay, Geordi and Data finally get power back to the shuttle by doing something that should not work at all. In fact, they have to do the opposite of what should work to make it work. When the shuttle comes up, its onboard clock shows the shuttle as six hours ahead of the clocks on the Enterprise. If the shuttle is from six hours in the future, Geordi figures Alt-Picard is from six hours in the future as well. Act 2. Picard orders Dr. Pulaski to try to wake Alt-Picard again. He twitches. He turns. He doesn't say anything, though. Pulaski stays with Alt-Picard while the rest of the senior staff meets to view the log from the recovered shuttle. It shows the shuttle flying into some sort of energy vortex. It also shows the Enterprise being destroyed. Three hours and 19 minutes from now. There's also an audio log. It has Picard saying he's just seen the Enterprise destroyed and that he is the only survivor. None of this makes sense to any of the senior staff. No way Picard would abandon ship before its destruction. Plus, what's going to destroy it? There's no anomalous energy, anything in the area. There are no other ships. It's a puzzle. One that's playing with their heads. Geordi wants to go any way but Ford, since Ford is where the shuttle with Alt-Picard came from. 
Picard says there may be no way to keep what happened from happening since it already happened. Worf thinks they might be caught in some sort of Mobius time loop since they can't avoid the future. Here's Picard's plan. They'll go ahead. And when it looks like Picard leaving the ship is a good idea, that'll be a bad idea. So let's not get the Enterprise blown up. In sickbay, Alt-Picard is slowly getting better. Pulaski thinks the closer they get to his actual time, the better he'll be. When they hit the moment when he jumped out of time, he'll be a normal Captain Picard. And there'll be two of them. Troy's getting more heavy vibes off of him. Alt-Picard desperately wants to leave this ship. Act 3. Two hours to destruction. Pulaski says Alt-Picard is more coherent, though when Captain Picard tries to question him... Well, it's tough to know on what Pulaski was basing her more coherent assessment. Alt-Picard is basically a grief-stricken nut job right now, having come from another dimension and having seen his ship and everyone on it blown up. Pulaski thinks he might be more useful closer to his own time, which unfortunately coincides with the aforementioned everybody dies moment. Pulaski is worried about Captain Picard's mental state. He has a lot of anger. Counselor Troy says, well, duh, because of what Alt-Picard represents. Doubt. Knowing what he knows about how things ended for Alt-Picard, Captain Picard has to be questioning and re-questioning his every move. Pulaski says, whatever. If our times Picard gets too loopy, he will be relieved of duty. In the captain's ready room, he and Riker are trying to figure out what sent the shuttle back in time. Slingshot around a star? Not likely. Force of will, like the Traveler? Eh, probably not. Mannheim's experiments would have no bearing. And yet they've never encountered a natural phenomenon that could shoot a ship six hours into the past. Riker suggests that Picard may have to be a little less Picard than he usually is for now. Picard can't define the solution because he can't define the problem. Maybe they should just chill and see what happens doesn't take long for something to happen. The ship shakes and Worf calls. All of a sudden, the Enterprise is sitting directly over an energy vortex. Act 4. Data says the energy vortex is similar to the Enterprise tractor beam, only much more powerful. Could explain the stuckitude being experienced by the ship. Geordi says he's having to run warp engines at 30% just to keep the ship from being pulled in. Troy says the vortex holds a consciousness. Not a thinking thing. More an instinctual thing. Picard says they'll stay and investigate. Unless, is that what got or will get the Enterprise destroyed? On second thought, Picard decides leaving would be the prudent move. Showing amazing flexibility, Riker agrees with the captain completely. Both times. Picard is bothered by his intense desire to get away rather than stay and investigate, but it really does seem to be the smart thing to do. He tells Geordi to get them out of there, Warp 9, and that does not work. When the ship starts to buckle from the strain, Picard calls for all stop, and the Enterprise is sucked into the energy vortex. Geordi is able to stop that by re-engaging warp engines. Everything we do tightens its grip, notes Picard. Just then, both Picards, the one on the bridge and the one in the sick bay, are hit by an energy beam. The one on the bridge says, that was personal. Then it happens again, and Troy confirms Picard's supposition. The consciousness was focused on the entire ship, but now it's focused on Picard alone. Well, Picard's alone. Captain Picard asked Troy if leaving the Enterprise would draw the attention of the thing in the vortex away from the ship. This must be what Alt-Picard thought. Draw away the thing's attention, perhaps giving the Enterprise time to escape. The temptation is understandable. The Enterprise is now having to run at full warp just to keep from being dragged into the vortex. Picard leaves the bridge. But is he leaving the ship? We'll find out in Act 5. Act 5. Captain Picard joins Dr. Pulaski, Counselor Troy, and Alt-Picard in sickbay. Alt-Picard is agitated, but finally, actually coherent. He says he must get to the shuttle. Alt-Picard knows he's on the Enterprise, though Captain Picard determines that he has no idea who Captain Picard is. But both Picards seem to know what they're doing. The captain orders the doctor to release Alt-Picard, though he confesses he doesn't actually know what he's doing. Freed from his restraints, Alt-Picard gets to his feet. Both men head to the shuttle bay, too, with Picard talking to himself about the course of action ahead. 
Alt-Picard says the thing in the vortex sees Picard as the brains of the Enterprise and it wants him dead. He has to leave to allow the Enterprise time to get away. But Captain Picard says that'll still get the Enterprise destroyed. Why can't Alt-Picard remember? He saw it happen. There may be no remembering, though. It's not about what has happened to Alt-Picard for Alt-Picard. For him, this hasn't actually happened yet. He's locked into one way of thinking, one course of action. He acknowledges to Picard that there may have been another course of action, but he decided it would never work. He's got to go. Captain Picard runs through impossible possibilities. We can't leave. We can't fight. We can't go forward. That last one startles Alt-Picard. No, he says, we can't go forward. That would destroy the Enterprise. And now Captain Picard knows what he has to do. To go forward, he says, the cycle must end. He hits Alt-Picard with a phaser blast, killing Alt-Picard, then heads to the bridge. He then orders the ship into the vortex at full power. As they hit the event horizon, the body of Alt-Picard and the extra shuttlecraft disappear. Kind of makes sense in a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey sort of way. Since Picard never left the Enterprise, the extra shuttle with the Alt-Picard never arrived on the Enterprise, so how could they be there past the moment they would have left? The new plan works, by the way. Going into the Vortex actually gets the ship and her captain through the Vortex. No damage and no sign of the Vortex. Riker and Picard discuss what it was that happened to them. Whatever it was, Picard says... He'd be fine not doing it again. The end. You said something in there that was uh, pretty interesting to me. That the the whatever the intelligence is, whatever the being is out there, seeing Picard as being the uh, the brain within the Enterprise, and, and I wondered how this whole thing would have played out differently if um, if like every other thing that has come across the Enterprise, it just picked up right away that the Enterprise computer is the brain of the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah? Well, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. And we we should probably talk about this more in the next segment. Sure. I don't think this episode is science fiction. Mm -hmm. So if you you want to talk about uh, the Enterprise is the brain, or what if it had thought that Riker being more of an alpha male was actually, you know, the brains of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I almost want to take the Enterprise out of this episode. Right. I almost want to take all the science fiction stuff out of this episode, but it is a science fiction show, yeah, ostensibly. So, you know, let's do the goofy stuff first, and then I'm I'm very excited about this episode. I won't lie; I can't hide it. I'm very excited about this episode. All right, well, goofy stuff. Uh, yeah, omelets. Not an omelet. Well, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. So I I here's the thing. I kind of like that scene at the beginning because mm-hmm. I like. I, I like it when Star Trek, particularly Next Generation, is able to do something that isn't just people striking heroic poses on the bridge. Yes. Um, so anytime you get somebody doing something very normal, um, it, it's really nice. It, it grounds those characters again. I, the trouble that I have with it is just they're telegraphing the whole scene right from the beginning. Uh, yeah. And right through the middle and right through to the end of it. Um, it. It gives us a little idea of Star Trek's relationship with technology, which I, I think is interesting. That sometimes mm-hmm. you need the unexpected. Sometimes you need human error to make something interesting. Maybe that indeed <laughs> is Riker's Persian flaw is uh, going to make terrible eggs. <laughs> well, I mean, it was the Joker who said you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Yeah. And and it's obvious that Riker can't make an omelet. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I say this as a guy who hates eggs. Yeah, really. I, I, yeah. I like them in some things. Okay. Like, 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 maybe I'm not a real man, but I like a good quiche. Um, I had a lovely bread pudding the other day that had sort of an egg custard in it. Mm, mm. Uh, fried rice is nothing without fried eggs in it. Yeah, you have to. You, you can have fried rice with nothing but eggs and rice and oil, and you still got fried rice. Yeah, but but a plate of eggs is like breakfast kryptonite for me. I just I will run screaming. Yeah. I have had an omelet that was okay that a friend of mine made, but mostly it was because I hadn't eaten in like seven hours, and I thought, well, do this <laughs> or fall over, right? Yeah. But but there's really more to making an omelet than what Riker demonstrates. Yeah, isn't there? Yeah, like no, I seem to remember, there's like there's like there's like putting other things in it, and there's like folding it, and he's pretty much just making scrambled eggs. Well, it's kind of funny. He has this little bowl, and yep. when I see him crack one egg, 
and then suddenly he's just got a huge, huge <laughs> platter full of scrambled eggs. But yeah, there's yeah. absolutely no technique. And, and interestingly enough, you know, an omelet is one of those. It's like a chef test. If you're a chef and you're hiring somebody to work in your restaurant, you don't say, go make Chateaubriand or go yeah. make a beef wellington. You say, make an omelet. Really? And, and it, yeah. And that is the test because if you could make a great <laughs> omelet, then you've got skills. Uh, and, Riker and if, has no skill. And if you say, I'm sorry, I couldn't make the omelet because I didn't want to break your eggs. You're out. <laughs> you are out. Yeah. Because if the Joker taught us anything. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of worried, though, about what Dr. Pulaski says um, yeah. uh, about getting away from the idea of family meals in the 24th century. Like, she she actually does. And, and again, the, the scene is clunky, but it's still kind of charming, and I kind of like it, even though, mm-hmm. again, we telegraph the joke. Um, she says something interesting. She The camera is just right on her, and then she sort of goes into this monologue about how how great it is that we do things like this because – it's something we don't have in the 24th century, or we have a lot less of in the 24th century. And I was trying to yeah. give her a little benefit of the doubt, thinking, well, you're on a starship, and you're, you're on this assignment for years and years and years and years, and it's just replicators everywhere. But then I thought, well, if she's speaking for all of the 24th century or all of Earth in the 24th century, that's incredibly depressing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, here's the other thing that we know. I mean, this coming from a workaholic... This coming from somebody who is so dedicated to medicine that she might screw up everything else was one of Picard's early concerns, right? Yeah. yeah. She's dedicated. Is she too dedicated? She probably eats at her desk. I mean, it would be funny if if everybody around the table had been like, "Uh, we still do that. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I had hoped that other people do this, and I had hoped that she would have said, you know, I don't do enough of this. Yeah. See, that would be. should really make this a regular thing, guys. Yeah, and then she tastes the eggs, and she's like, I'll be at my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing that I found incredibly entertaining in this episode was the story that was not written, because it it almost is a setup for, like, a Saturday Night Live sketch, and and it's the fact of Picard totally denying that he would ever leave the bridge at any time, because everybody knows he would never do that, right? Right, right, (laughs) Warf? Right? I would never do that. Right, guys? Back me up on this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? It was a, Unless the planet below is about to explode. Right. Wasn't that, what, was that a couple weeks ago, I guess? Uh, I can't remember which episode it was already. It wasn't the Royale. It was the one before that. Oh, okay, okay. With the, you know, with Varley in the neutral zone and, and all yeah. that stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and he goes down to the planet that, with all the portals that it looks like it's about to... Uh, right, right. And, and then he yeah. just leaves. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. When the Enterprise is about to explode, actually, now that I think about it, because, yeah, because yeah, yeah, the Enterprise yeah, is yeah. breaking down and falling apart. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what the heck? Two weeks ago, you left the ship when it looked like it was going to blow up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, you must have been very excited that we had a shout-out to Dr. Mannheim. Mm-hmm. We had a shout-out to The Traveler. Yep. We had a, we had a shout-out to Star Trek Four. We do- oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. We are acknowledging the fact that, yeah, we've played with time before. Yeah. We know this. And here are the times that we played with time before. Yeah. Luckily, he didn't mention George and Gracie. No, he didn't mention that. Um, no, he didn't mention uh, The Guardian or, yeah. or any of that. Uh, and no, actually, really cool. mm-hmm. and in talking about Star Trek Ford, and they've also mentioned the original series, because was it uh, Yesterday is Tomorrow? Tomorrow is the future? Tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> yes, tomorrow. You just missed what happened. Didn't they do a slingshot around the sun for yeah. that episode, too? Tomorrow is yesterday, correct. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know? Yeah. Tomorrow is yesterday. It's a, it's, a, it's a time travel joke. Sorry, go ahead. Dr. Pulaski spends a lot of time talking about the body clock, and mm-hmm. just um, my eyes rolled into the back of my head. It just came across as uh, just nonsense. Mm, but you know, ne- necessary nonsense, though. Uh, well, See, you're, you're making the mistake of viewing this episode as a science fiction episode, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disabuse you of that notion in the next segment. Okay, I, I can't wait. I right. honestly can't wait for that moment. Right. Um, but there was another scene in Sick Bay that um, it, it, I really kind of questioned. It was the point of having Pulaski and Troy debate about Picard being fit to lead, mm-hmm. and, and maybe I, I don't know. Maybe it was just uh, Maurice Hurley, the writer, just uh, overwriting it or, or whatever. I, I don't know exactly where to lay the blame for it. 
but I felt like this is a known thing anyway, because we've already been through this. We, when Picard was sort of taken over by this uh, alien intelligence and uh, Troy was already trying to relieve him of command. And mm -hmm. uh, he was like, nope, nope, I'm fine. And they're like, you need to be checked out. And he's like, no, you need to be checked out. You know, the, this. <laughs> so we've already seen this play out. That and is actually was, how that happened. I forgot. It that. was. It was exactly how that happened. <laughs> and, um, and, and there's no indication that the captain has done anything wrong. Yeah. So why waste breath on it other than just to sort of try to add drama to a moment where there maybe wasn't a lot of drama? Yeah. Um, so, it, again, it, it's not like a make or break thing for the episode, but it, it just felt like it, uh, uh, it was out of place. Uh, well, I'll defend it. I okay, mean, yeah. not not everybody. I know this is going to shock you, but it's possible that this was somebody's episode, somebody's first episode of Star Trek during Next Gen's first run. Hmm. And and so while we have it established, even just a few episodes ago, that yes, she could do that, and certainly McCoy had the power to relieve uh, Kirk of duty back in the original series. Yeah. When this was current, I mean, you kind of have to you kind of have to telegraph those things just just to give both any newcomers an idea or any casual viewers an idea of how serious all of this could be. Sure, sure, sure. And and uh, obviously, again, it, it's syndication, and every episode yep. stands on its own. Um, right, but I it still felt out of place. No, <laughs> but See, I disagree with you. I, I, so, so I gotta say, yeah. Uh, there was a continuity error, and I'm not usually the guy who gets hung up on continuity errors, but I like this one in particular. All right. At the end of Act 4, um, Troy leaves the bridge after Picard. They're on their way to sickbay. We don't actually know where they're on their way to. We okay. think it's possible that Picard is going to the shuttle bay to leave the ship, but right. we don't know. But Troy is, like, right behind him, right? Yes. And then beginning of Act 5, Troy is in sickbay when Picard arrives. Oh, you are – yes, you're now, absolutely right. What I love about this idea is I like I like the thought of like maybe they play a game every time they go someplace <laughs> on the ship. Like okay, let's see who can get there quickly, uh, most quickly. No, don't 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 don't, help, don't tell me how you're going to go. I'm going to go one way, you're going to go another. We'll see who gets there first, right? Or maybe they get in an argument about which way would be faster. But you know he's the captain, mm -hmm. so they can't discuss the fact that she was right. Right. <laughs> once he finally gets there, you know. Like twenty minutes later, right. <laughs> just like don't just don't, don't talk about it. it. Don't don't, don't say anything because he he gets really upset. You know, this would seem to be a good week for Captain Picard to say curiouser and curiouser, except he spent the whole time thinking creepier and creepier. Again, we mentioned earlier the Persian flaw. We had a great uh, history lesson about yeah. the Persian flaw. And um, uh, Riker says this line to Picard about the, this being the Persian flaw. And certainly I get it with Riker's eggs. Boy, is he just flawed all over the place when it comes Riker's to eggs. eggs. Riker's Huge. eggs, by the way, would be a fantastic like band name. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Or I tell you what, we could just replace the term Persian flaw with the Riker egg. Riker's eggs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's got Riker's eggs all over it, dude. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, but I, I was wondering what we were actually calling out as the flaw here. You know, Picard's curiosity and mm -hmm. reason are the mm -hmm. flaws that he has to overcome, um, it, at least in this instance, because the whole thing is like, well, what would you normally do? Well, normally I would stay here and assess the situation, try to figure it out, and then get out if we need to get out or study it and take in as much data as we can. So I, I was trying to, to figure out exactly what we were saying the flaw would be, because mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that Picard is flawed in his approach. Yeah, this was, this was honestly the one part, this was the weakest part of the episode to me. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that Riker is saying Picard is going to have to do is basically, um, he's going to have to let it go. He's going to have to not decide right away. He's going to have to not get set in his decision and pursue that decision no matter what. There are going to be variables here, and he's going to have to you know, sort of accept those variables and work with that. Now, the thing is, that's actually a strength of Picard. But in this episode, it's apparently not. What Riker is encouraging to do is, is be open to other possibilities. 
and 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 one of the things that's been great about Picard is he is open to other possibilities. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been any weakness on Picard's park part at all. Yeah, but no. for the for the purposes of um, this allegory or this parable or whatever it is that this is, uh, that's what Riker is advising him to to sort of be open to not be set on one one course of action. Yeah, and maybe I would have bought it if we had seen elements of Picard that would show that he is anything other than that. Well, I, 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 I get the impression. After what's funny is that we're going to see that. That's that's what's crazy about this episode. Yeah. Well. All right. Yeah. Go, going a little further out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, to me, I, I felt like this is the Chinese finger trap all over again, and Data should have totally picked up on that. <laughs> you just, you know, oh, remember when I was playing with a thing and my fingers, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also the Kobayashi Maru, honestly. So everybody there should have been like, "Wow, huh? Yeah, <laughs> doing that again." Right. Right. Yeah. Now at the end of Act Four. Mm-hmm. Why would Picard even indicate that he is about to do the exact same thing that other future Picard already did and failed at miserably? He he, he leaves the bridge, and they're like, oh, you're leaving the bridge. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, we don't know where you're going. Uh, you're not thinking about leaving the ship, are you? Because we saw what happened in that other timeline mm-hmm. when other Picard left the ship, and that other Picard is about to be you, Picard, leaving the ship. Um, or is he? I mean, that's the other thing. We don't actually know for certain that it is. The, the, the time possibilities in this are insane. We have no idea how many times they have actually gone through this. Well, right? That's an interesting idea. They've done it over and over and over again. And it's possible that it's even been that same Picard doing it over and over and over again. Or it may have been one Picard doing it one time and another Picard doing it another time. It's possible that Alt Picard doesn't even realize that this is, doesn't recognize this as a Captain Picard anymore because how many of them has he seen? I mean, we know he's seen at least, it seems likely, if not definite, that he's seen at least one more because the last time he was in this situation, he was Captain Picard standing there looking at another Alt-Picard. Mm-hmm. But maybe Alt-Picard has actually just been hopping from Enterprise to Enterprise to Enterprise trying to fix it every time even though he's doing the exact same thing over and over again. And in that sense, it makes perfect sense that Captain Picard would do the same thing that Alt Picard would do because they're the same guy. He's having to he's having to fight his own instinct. He's having to fight doing what he on some level believes to be 100% correct. Even though he's seen it go wrong, it is exactly what he feels he should he should do. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that I said in the recap that the captain orders the doctor to release Alt Picard though he confesses he doesn't actually know what he's doing. He doesn't actually confess that he doesn't know what he's doing. He states it. He states it categorically. Yeah. Uh, Pulaski says, are you sure you know what you're doing? And Picard says, no, let him go. Uh, that is right? actually my favorite moment in the whole show. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's it's like a total statement of purpose without actually saying, here's my statement of purpose. He's not going to be paralyzed by indecision. Yeah. He's got to do something. And so he's going to do something mindful though unencumbered by the possibility of failure. And literally, nothing is going to stand in his way at this point. He orders all personnel out of the shuttle bay. He tells security not to come to sick bay. He has to do something, and he's going to go ahead and do something. And we saw a moment of the paralysis that that Pulaski was worried about and that Troy was worried about as well, although she thought he could overcome it, when he's like, all right, so, so let's investigate this. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's maybe that was the bad thing. So let's get the heck out of here. And there's like a I actually found the the part where Riker agreed with him both times adamantly strange. Um, But I love the fact that. uh, Yeah. Deciding what to do in this situation, um, even though he did. Well, uh, I don't want to I don't want to jump to the next part. I was I was really turned on by so much of this episode. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to push you under the end of the show if you're not there yet. I think part of the problem here for me is that um, the the sort of endless rabbit hole of indecision that this episode could go down. So if it is Groundhog Day, yeah, and and we've got the same thing playing over and over and over again. Well, the the difference with Groundhog Day is that you've got the central character who knows what's going on. 
mm-hmm. who then is aware that every decision has a different outcome, you know, d- depending on how he he goes through his day, how he plays it out. With this, it's different because th- this is Picard actually resetting, you know, going back and rediscovering all of this information. So every time he has a conversation with Riker or, or with Pulaski or whomever about what is the right thing to do, well, it, it, I, I feel like you, you ultimately aren't really getting anywhere with that character. Because he's basically saying, like, well, that Picard left the ship. Maybe I'm not supposed to leave the ship. Or maybe he left the ship, but he left the ship at the wrong time and did the wrong thing. Or maybe by us having this conversation, uh, that will lead me to make the wrong decision in the future. And we have no idea what that decision is. Maybe if I don't make any decision at all, that's the right outcome or the wrong outcome. So it, it literally is just any number of little factors that I feel like I, I don't want to say they don't challenge Picard because certainly Picard being at the center of the story, he, he is the most challenged by it. But without him actually being able to assess it and say, hmm, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. Well, maybe th- this is the one in a million outcomes where shooting the other Picard is the correct answer. But why necessarily is that the correct answer? Like the Enterprise being pulled from an energy vortex? What messages, morals, or meanings can be pulled from Times Squared? So we may be in a weird uh, position with this episode. We may actually have more to say, and I don't know because we haven't written everything out, but we may actually have more to say in the um, uh, messages, morals, and meanings does the whole thing stand up than we did in the discussion part. And that's because I feel like, to me, this whole thing just reads as parable. You said something that was absolutely fascinating to me in the last segment, and I kept my mouth shut because I wanted to say it here. (laughs) Um, Picard, you said, is the most challenged in this episode. Hmm. I'm not sure I agree. Hmm. I think everybody around Picard is the most challenged because Picard gets to make the decision of whether or not Picard leaves. Picard gets to make the decision of whether or not Picard does the exact same thing that he thinks he should do, which is apparently the exact same thing that he has always done. We don't know how many times before. And that is going to kill everybody else. Everybody else is more challenged because they just have to watch Picard do whatever it is that Picard is going to do. Now, I've said that I think that this episode is allegory or parable. Mm -hmm. It is in a couple of ways. To me, this is a more nuanced telling of the enemy within. Hmm. Picard knows in a way that he has never known before that there is a real chance of failure, of catastrophic failure. And the proof of that is this inarticulate, immobile, alt-Picard laying right in front of him, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And he hates this thing laying in front of him the way Alt-Kirk and Logie-Kirk hated each other. But he has to deal with it. I mean, he, he has to deal with it because it's right there in front of him. And the thing that I found really amusing was that um, while the solution for Alt-Kirk and Logie-Kirk was literally to hug it out, <laughs> the solution here is for present Picard uh, to literally kill uh, proof of failure Picard or Alt-Picard. Hmm. Now, to me... What the whole thing is an allegory for is is getting over whatever bad or unhelpful mode of thinking has trapped you. Hmm. It's facing your fear. It's examining what you're doing. And when you know categorically that what you're doing does not work, doing something different, and that's an incredibly difficult thing for so many people to do. But even if it goes against everything that feels right, you you have to you have to do whatever that thing is. I mean, I couldn't help but think of, of like all the twelve step stuff. Um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah. To me, this is motivational poster stuff. Uh, this is ending addiction. It's changing bad spending habits. It's it's learning to love. It's learning to love the right person. It's learning to trust. It's learning not to be so trusting. It's learning not to fall in love so quickly. I mean, it's it's basically saying if every time you do something, that something goes dreadfully wrong, 
Why did I eat so much? Why did I drink so much? Why did I spend so much? Why did I spend so little? Why did I go gambling? Why did I work as hard as I did on that thing that nobody ever cares about anyway? They never care about this thing, but I keep, you know, pouring myself into it. If every time you do something, and so I don't want to make it sound like, well, this is a drug addiction episode, because it can be something that seems like a good thing as well. I worked 70 hours this week, and that's awesome. And, you know, now I'm 48, I'm having a heart attack, or, and I don't know what my kid's middle name is anymore. Or I told him happy 10th birthday when it was his ninth. I mean, it can be good things or bad things, but if, if you're constantly caught in doing something over and over again that is yielding negative results, you got to change it. It made no sense to Picard to take the Enterprise straight into the vortex because that seemed like doom. And the thing is, at least one time before, and who knows how many other times before, it seemed like doom. And yet we can't assume that he has every time seen this happen. Even if it was only the one time, he has seen this happen before. But he is, in his head, he's determined there's still, there's just one thing to do. And so the only other course of action, you know, after who knows how many times, was to face his doom, was to face his fear. So he does something different, and he breaks the cycle. And he even uses those words. To go forward, he says, the cycle must end. And that, to me, is what this episode is all about. So you can take the starship out of it. You can take, you can take this, the, the time travel thing out of it. What you can't take out of it is Picard comes to a place where Picard has to face the worst parts of Picard. And what's he going to do at that point? Is he going to do the same thing that he's always done? Or is he going to do something to, to break whatever bad cycle it is that he's caught in? And that's going to help not only him, but everybody around him, because they all get to live now. They all get to go ahead and go forward rather than watching him make these horrible decisions, rather than watching him run himself into the rocks the same way they've watched him do a million times. Yeah, or who knows how many times, yeah. you know? Now, the strange thing to me is at the end of this episode, Picard's like, whoa, self-examination. Don't want to go there no more, you know? <laughs> but I'm still okay with it because, I mean, it's like, I mean, that's something – that you're, you're probably going to do if you come through some like if, if I've been a junkie, if I've been an alcoholic, if I've been somebody who eats too much, if I've been, you know, somebody who does something that has been detrimental, if, if I'm finally able to break out of it, my immediate reaction is probably going to be I'm tired now. <laughs> and I think that's Picard's thing. I don't think Picard's saying I never the unexamined life is a-okay with me. I, but I think, you know, for him to say it immediately after is kind of okay. But to me, this whole thing, this whole episode is just allegory for, for breaking some sort of bad cycle that you're caught in for whatever reason. I, I, and, that, and that's why I absolutely, I love this episode for that. This episode spoke to me in a way that I don't believe any of the TNG episodes have spoken to me to this point. Wow. Just because, just because we're watching this character who is at the center of everything deal with some major stuff, and he actually deals with it as opposed to it's like it's like Picard said in uh, not Picard it's like Kirk said in in um, Star Trek Two he's cheated it he's skirted around it he's always gotten by and in episode in uh, in um, the Wrath of Khan Kirk actually has to face all of the stuff that he's kind of cheated and we're we're now watching Picard face things about himself, literally about himself, that he can't stand. And I love the fact that when he looks at himself, himself is like this mewling, awful, can't even talk, can't even think. He's just, he's just, he's just, he's just muscle. He's just muscle and movement and, 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 um, reflex laying on the table. He is disgusting. Hmm. And he's got to deal with that in the same way that, uh, all Kirk and Logie Kirk had to deal with each other too. I'm uh, I'm shocked. I'm stunned, and I'm enormously gratified that you got that much out of it. I, I really am. I, th I think that is awesome because I I definitely come up at the other end of things here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see. Here's the thing. I, I feel like if this cycle has been played out over and over and over again, mm -hmm. and if I'm looking for a moral meaning message here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, congratulations. I, I think you found the only one that, that I can legitimately wrap my head around. I feel like th this message, though, kind of gets buried in the plot um, because I felt like I, I don't really know what we as individuals are able to learn other than, all right, we play out this scenario with, uh, with breaking this bad cycle. But mm -hmm. Picard is faced with a decision that 
in, in any case, he could either be right or he could be wrong. And mm-hmm. even if he plays it out a million times, he could either be right or he could be wrong. And 999,000 of those times, the Enterprise explodes and he gets killed eventually or whatever. And then the one time, one time he does something else, he gets it right and everybody gets to live at the end of the day. There's really no way for him to know any of that without luck. So right. in the end, what what is that message then? Just be lucky. Really make sure that you're lucky, even no. if you are going against all of your instincts and taking in all the advice of all the people around you. He is faced with this question of, well, well what do I do? Do I do the thing that feels right that I would do under normal circumstances or because it's now suddenly opposite day on the Enterprise and you give something more power and then there's less power to be gotten or you give less power and suddenly there's more power to be gotten than do I do the opposite of what I would normally do? In any case, I still have to be lucky with that outcome. You see, I don't, I don't think so, though, because all of that stuff is, is trapping for... I mean, really, this is original series Star Trek to me in a way. This is Wagon Train in Space. This is one of those episodes that will never have any bearing on anything else except that we get to see some amazing stuff happen happen with Picard. Mm. Now, they have mentioned The Traveler. They have mentioned Mannheim. So it's possible they'll say, hey, remember that time with the time vortex or the energy vortex, whatever that was? <laughs> that was weird. But it's not going to have like a real impact. This is not like some alien that we're going to meet again. It doesn't seem anyway. This is not like some implacable foe. This is not like Q. This is not like mud. This is a thing that that happened, but it it really is just allegory. You can remove this episode from Star Trek canon and, and lose nothing. Because this, to me, is not an episode about Star Trek. This is an episode... And maybe it's maybe it's personal stuff. I mean, there are alcoholics in my family history. And this is this to me is what that is. This to me is 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 some guy sitting there looking at that drink and saying, I know how this ends. I know how this ends. And everything that I want is in that class. But I know how it ends. So I got a knot. And but that's true of any sort of bad behavior that we all have. And I don't say we all have, not that we all have it, but that's, that's true of any sort of bad behavior, any, any behavior that ends up being detrimental. And it can even be things that look like good things. You know, oh, I'm volunteering for five different organizations and I, you know, don't have time for my kids or I don't have time for my family. Or I'm stuffing this thing that I can't face with a bunch of other stuff. And it's really good stuff. It's good stuff that I'm doing. I'm doing really good things. and I'm not facing this other thing that needs to be faced. It can also be like avoiding things. I mean, it, it basically, it really is... A, a guy or a gal, it is a consciousness sitting there saying, the thing that I want most is the thing that I know will end poorly, but it's the easiest thing, and it's the thing I want, and I got a knot. And, and spaceships and uniforms and, and command structure, the only reason the command structure still works well is because whatever his decision is, it is going to affect literally everyone around him. Mm-hmm. So if your bubbles in the wire are coming back asking for $20 because you're really going to clean yourself up this time, <laughs> you're not. And everybody knows that until he finally does. And I think season four, it's awesome. And he's a great yeah, character. Yeah. But, you know, that's for our <laughs> Wired podcast or the Wire podcast, which I think is coming to you in 2053. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's everything else. I mean, I get your questions. I understand your questions. And for the continuity of Star Trek, they're important questions. But this is kind of not a Star Trek episode. This is a story being told in the Star Trek universe, but it's really something that's, it's, it's, it's a very human story that could just as easily been be told in the old West could just as easily be told in the Bukowski novel. I mean, could just as easily be told any number of places. Um, I, I think it would have been very interesting to see the road not taken if they had, uh, if they had actually made this into a Q episode, because as you mentioned, that there is no further consequence of this. There is no further mention of this. You can just lift this episode right out, and um, and it doesn't matter one way or the other. Had this led into something with Q, then what we would have gotten is that kind of you know smug moralizing from Q about whether or not Picard made the right decision, and does Picard even know what the right decision is? Um, and, and maybe I would have been more interested in 
that. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I want to talk about the production here for just a second because, yeah. I, you know, I, I'll say that just as an episode, I think – I think maybe I have a little bit of the same problem with this that I did with Contagion, which is you you say Times Squared and people go, oh, that's the one with the two Picards. Mm-hmm. Just like with Contagion, you say, oh, yeah, that's the one with the, the computer virus. That's the one with the, the reboot, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And I feel like, yeah, th- this is a, a mind bleepery for sure. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's really about all I got out of it. I felt like just as an episode, I thought the pacing was bad. I thought that there was an interesting conceit of the two Picards at the same time. But I really wanted to know if there was anything else there. Now, I hand it to you because you found something else there. And and to you, it, it really was bonk, bonk on the head. Um, mm. No, I wouldn't say it was bonk, bonk on the head. No, I, really? No, no, it was not. It was not. This was not being handed to you. There's no you see Timmy moment. I mean, this is not this is not a conversation with Wesley about how you know tough death and dying are, sure, or sure, sure. or how he shouldn't do drugs or you know anything like that. No, I mean it, it proves that this is not bonk bonk on the head. <laughs> bonk bonk on the head is stated. The fact that you didn't see any of that stuff that I'm saying. I mean, maybe maybe that stuff's not there. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Although I can't. No, I don't think so at all. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're reading too much into it. I, I, I think that you're. You know, you, your emotional, psychological read was influenced and informed by something very different. You, your experience versus my experience, people around you versus people around me, what, whatever that case may be, whatever the, the, the psychological impact that, that you keyed into mm-hmm. is awesome. That's great. You know, again, this is a show where there are no right answers, no wrong answers. This is about interpretation. <laughs> Not until we turn the microphone off. Right. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but but I, I think that my blind spot, partly with this episode, is that I found it to be kind of a bizarrely made episode. And like I said, the, the pacing felt wrong to me. And I we're faced with two Picards. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we've seen this before with two Kirks. And we'll see it again with two Rikers. And what? <laughs> I, I know. I... So so sorry to break it to you, Ken. I'm so looking forward to that episode. I love that episode. (laughs) At least I did when I saw it however many years ago. It'll be interesting to see whether I still do. But knows it'll be all new to you in uh, coming months. Um, But yeah, at at the end of the day, though, um, I, I really just wondered. Well, again, if any little thing, if any little decision over which Picard has no control at all. Um, And yeah, in the end, he takes enough control to pull a phaser off the wall and shoot himself, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which is interesting, you know, visually very interesting and, and again, psychologically very interesting. Um, But, but I wondered at the end, you know, had Q been there to say like, here's the problem with you, Picard, you you care too much about this or you spend too much time focusing on this or whatever, then I feel like we might have learned something about Picard. I feel like we learned something about the human condition, though. What's amazing to me is you, the secular humanist, are saying, I wish God was there to explain to Picard why he did what he did. (laughs) And what actually happens in this case, in in this episode is there is just a man and his decisions. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And he knows that he can either do the right thing which is going to feel wrong or do the wrong thing, which is going to feel right. And there's no, there is no deity or deities standing around going, you know what you should do because everybody who says, you know what you should do. I mean, it's all Picard. Yeah, but ultimately Picard has no idea what the right thing or the wrong thing is to do. Of course he does. He knows that one course of action is going to get, is is going to kill everybody. It's going to, it's going to wreck everybody around him. And he actually sees evidence that's going to wreck him, too, because by the time he gets to the Enterprise, he's nothing. (laughs) He's a drooling thing laying on the table at that point. He knows that there is a bad course of action. He knows that there's a good course of action. The problem is they each feel antithetical to what they actually are. Well, how lucky for Picard that he had another Picard there to uh, not just take the blame, but take the phaser shot in the end as well. All right. I can't believe I couldn't turn you around on this episode. I cannot believe I could not turn you around on this episode. Well, Ken, you, you've turned me around on things before. 
I, I know. I would definitely say that. And um, yeah, the, this may not be one of the, but who knows? Maybe in another 15 or 20 years, I'll come back and rewatch it and I'll go, man, you know what? That Ken Ray, he's right. This is, this is one of those crowning achievements of second season of next. 15 years from now dude i'm looking forward to us doing this show again in six hours <laughs> shoot me <laughs> shoot me with a phaser <laughs> all right well ken the beauty of this is that we get to do it all over again but first i'd like to let people know where they can find us a little more information about the show mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer is rod roddenberry you can find out more at roddenberry.com and it's not just more information about mission log and more information about roddenberry they have all kinds of cool stuff there it's sort of your portal to sci-fi news and information and and just cool stuff the rod and berry comics uh 1701 news um and of course the roddenberry shop where they have all sorts of groovy items like props and costumes and toys fun stuff for star trek fans and for more exciting star trek podcasts be sure to check out trek fm that's trek.fm and for the latest in star trek news and discussion be sure to visit trekmovie.com next week the icarus factor Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I do not know about you, but I would love to read the report to Starfleet about this incident. Captain Picard killed who? And transmission. <laughs>